And the title of the message this morning is Wanted Troublemakers. Okay? Do we have our slide up? Yeah, he's not here to defend himself this morning. So I told him, I hope you're watching, Brent. Jesse, if you can get in on that tight. Um, wanted troublemakers. And we got Brent. There was another one I found. There was a, the wanted poster. I thought about pulling it in. And, and it was just a, like an Old West drawing. And it, it was a bald-headed guy with a beard. And I said, it's either Shay Handy or it's uh, Mike Johnson. I couldn't figure out which one, but had the glasses on. And I thought, I ought to show that. But it was really cool. But uh, that's the topic of our message this morning is wanted troublemakers. And we're going to read here in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to, that, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the, of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathered a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus." And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Father, bless now uh, the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you'll guide my thoughts and my speech. And Lord, you know the preparation that's gone in. And Lord, you know what uh, I've, I've put down on paper. I believe is led of the Holy Spirit. But, Lord, I pray right now, if there's anything that, uh, Lord, you would have me to say that I haven't prepared, I pray you'll just give me clarity in that. You'll guide my thoughts. And, Lord, hinder me from saying anything that uh, you would not have me say this morning. So, Lord, would you just bless and move now, and, and uh, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We go back there to verse 6. It says, These who have turned the world upside down. We find here lies out of the pit of hell and sounds... And, and it sounds a lot like headlines ripped out of this morning's left-leaning so-called news outlets. Amen? When you read this right here, when you read these verses, I, I, it's like turning the news on today and watching what's going on in America. And we see this type of activity again and again and again. It says, it says but the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious. They took some of the evil men of the marketplace and gathered a mob. I mean, we've seen that over the last, well, really three or four years. We've seen a lot of this mob mentality. And I have friends in Athens, Georgia, who knew there were groups that were sent into Athens from outside of Athens. And they were this. They were, they were evil men from the marketplace who had been gathered together to stir up a mob. And it was to bring this, this outrage. And so it says, they set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason 
and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they uh, did not find them, they're trying to find Paul and Silas. Y'all mean, y'all know what, what Paul and Silas, every time Paul and Silas went somewhere, they preached the gospel and you saw lives changed. You saw, and, and here's what's interesting. Every time Paul could preach and preach and preach and, and until people started getting saved, no, the, 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 they didn't care over there. They didn't care what was going on. But as soon as lives started being impacted, it might have affected their pocketbook. It might have affected their power structure, whatever it was. Then they got in an uproar. Look, they don't care. If you go out here without the power of God on your life and you stand on a street corner and you scream out and, and, and whatever, if, if it's not impacting lives and making a difference, they won't care. But as soon as lives start being impacted, you know who really cares? Satan cares. And Satan is going to fight it. And we see right here, it's just like looking in, the, in, in, our, in our culture today. And what's going on is this getting a mob together. And, and so they, they, they drag Jason out. They drag him to the authorities. And they're saying, these who have turned the world upside down. That's what, that's what they're claiming. Paul and Silas, they've turned the world upside down. And now we got to put a stop to it. So they drag him, and then Paul and Silas aren't there. They find Jason. They bring him, and they accuse him. He's harbored them. And, and, here, and, and I'll come back to that part there in verse 7. But verse 8 says, And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason. Now, what does that mean to take security? They got some money out of Jason. They got a promise out of Jason that you won't harbor them folks anymore. You won't be a part of what's going on there. They, they got some money from him. You know, it's the same thing we see today. All these uproars. Get the city stirred up. And somebody's going to profit off of it. Folks, just look around in everything in our life today. Follow the dollar and you'll find out because that is the God of this world. It's one of the idols and the gods of this world today. Follow the money trail and you'll find out what's going on. And, uh, but we're going to talk more about what all it looks like. But as you read that right there, it looks so much like what is going on today. So these who have turned the world upside down. Paul and Silas and their mission team had not turned the world upside down. Amen. This lost world has cornered the market on turning the world upside down. When we look around, it's not Paul and Silas. In that day, they weren't turning the world upside down. They were trying to turn the world upside right. They were trying to get it turned back around. It's this lost world, this, this, this satanic culture. They have turned things wrong. And it's the group that even then, and it's the same today, they're calling right, wrong, and wrong, right. Sound familiar? You know, whatever they're screaming about may change, but it's the same Screaming, it's the same tactics, it's the same methods. They're attacking, they're vilifying and attempting to cancel anyone that disagrees with their perverted, satanic, and I'll dare say it, hellish ideology. I'm convinced that everything that we're witnessing around us today is spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. We can, we can talk about this or that or the other, but ultimately it all comes back. This is spiritual warfare. And all of the things going on in our culture today, that's what we're facing. Everything is, is designed to instill fear and to divide. And we're seeing that, folks. Last year and a half, you go back even further than that. We already had social unrest Fear and division. We've got COVID now, and it's been, it's been weaponized. It's been, it's been politicized to bring fear and to divide. We have the vaccine, and it has been politicized, and it's been weaponized to bring fear and to divide. 
I was telling our, the church Wednesday night, those that were here, folks, we, we've got to guard against that. We've got to pray for those who are struggling with fear. Fear is not of the Lord. Amen? The Lord doesn't give us a spirit of fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. Those, that's what the Lord gives us. And if we don't have that, it, it, we know it's not of the Lord. So you, you, we can't live in fear. And so, folks, we need to pray for those who are struggling with fear in their life right now. Pray for them. Pray for them. We want them to have victory. But we also got to pray for unity in our church. I already see in their situations, I had a conversation this weekend with someone whose family told them, until you get the vaccine, we will not see you. It's dividing, and it's so politicized, it's weaponized. We don't need to let that happen here, folks. we got to protect that. We do not need that. So, but, but, but that's what we're seeing. These things are designed to divide and to split everybody. It's to bring fear and division. See, the police are racist. That's what we hear. We hear the system is racist. We hear America is racist. In fact, I heard this week that fireworks are racist. Really? Huh? That, you think you're kidding now, preacher. No, that, that's the, the conversation was they were saying fireworks were racist because the fallout from them falls on predominantly minority areas. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm just, I'm, 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 I cease to be amazed and yet I'm still amazed at what we can do. But see, the word racist is being thrown around to divide the nation. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, the left uses it. It's just their trump card. Anything that they don't like, you're a racist. You know, the Bible's probably racist. Um, Baptists are probably racist. Just because you're Baptist, no matter what you believe. But this is the stuff that's being thrown around to divide. We got BLM. We got critical race theory. I'm, thank God that we've got some politicians that are standing up and fighting that teaching. And I've taught about that. That, that, that is not about... Uh, the critical race theory is not, it, it is a negative disinformation. It is lies. Every, and and if, if you don't understand it, I'll be glad to teach you about it. And I'll probably preach about it again. So our church needs to understand what this is. And this is being pushed in every phase of our society today. And it's all designed to instill fear and to divide. We've got intersectionality and social justice. Social justice it sounds like a great word until you really find find out what they mean by social justice. And then COVID, as I said, it, it has been used to instill fear in people's hearts. It's been used for that purpose, and it has. It's been effective. There are folks that are fearful. They're fearful of, of COVID. I've had it. I, I don't, I don't want to get it again. I don't want anybody else to get it. But we're fearing something that the, the, the death rate on that is so low, it, it's unbelievable. And yet we're going we're gonna to just fear and lock down over that. The vaccine has been politicized and weaponized for the purpose of dividing people and instilling fear. And it's working. I believe that, that, um, I believe that these people, the things that we're seeing in our culture, the ones that are out and the agitators in this trouble, I believe that they're really what a lot of these are, most of them are, even some of the spearheads, they're, they're, they're a term that they're called useful idiots. And, and if some of you know your history, you know where that comes from. But they're being used for the purpose of pushing what is truly a satanic agenda. Again, I tell you, I believe that this is all a, 
a, a spiritual, is spiritual warfare what we're facing. So I believe that they're all useful is the idiots being used by Satan with the intent of bringing revolution to bring in socialism in the case here in America and which leads to communism, which is a political system that Satan has, does, and will continue to use to control people and his effort to expel God from everything. See, we have freedom in America still. We still do have freedom. I don't know if people realize how socialized we've become. We are a socialized nation. And if we're not careful, we're going to be full socialism, and then we're going to be in communism. And it is absolutely something that we need to guard against. It's a godless uh, government. We've got to defend against that. But it's, it's, you can look at the people that are pushing these things, but if you go back to the, the core of it, again, I'll say it, I believe this is all spiritual warfare. It's Satan's plan to divide our nation and to bring revolution. And, and you know, it, in a free nation, you can worship as you choose. You go to other nations, there's not that freedom. Paul and Silas were going about making trouble. Well, well, that's what was said about them. They were making trouble. They were making trouble. They were making trouble for Satan. They were making trouble for those who were being used of Satan. They were making trouble for those who liked the system as it was. You know, Paul and Silas, they didn't go around getting involved in politics. They weren't rallying around issues. They went about sharing Christ with the lost and dying world, and as lives were changed, it began to affect those in power and those who wanted to stop it. As Paul traveled and preached and witnessed, and an amazing thing always happened. Everywhere Paul went, lives were changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what happens when we preach the word of God. People will come to faith. He and Silas were, according to them and for them, he was, he was, they were troublemakers. That's what they were. But they were troublemakers you know, for Satan and for the religious power structures. They didn't like what was going on. He, they were causing tons of trouble for them. They were turning the world, well, they weren't turning it upside down, but they were turning it right side up. You know, folks, our world today is it's upside down and we need to turn it right side up. And how do we do that? I can tell you it doesn't matter who's in the White House. I, I think many, many today believe that, you know, if, if we get uh, Trump back in there or DeSantis in the White House in three, three and a half years, three years, three and a half years, whatever, they feel like it, depending on who we get in the White House, that'll change everything spiritual in our nation. Well, we had Trump for four years. We're no more spiritual now than we were before he we went in. So, so Trump's not the answer to the spiritual issue. Who's in the White House is not the answer to the spiritual issue. Now, we see that what's in the White House can affect detrimentally, can certainly speed things up and make, take the speed bumps out of the way for what Satan wants to do in our culture. But who's in the White House will not impact our culture. Policies can change, but that ain't going to change hearts. Policy doesn't change hearts. There's only one surefire way to turn our country around, and that's to win them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's the only way. Only He can change hearts. Only the Lord Jesus can change hearts. Only He can change the way. He's got to take a change here, and then everything else can change. And then as more and more people, you know, that's why, that's why the, we had the first, uh, I can't remember his name, it was the silversmith. But we, you remember that? The silversmiths made all the little idols and, and, and people were buying those idols. Well, people were getting saved. You know what it, it did? 
all these people are getting saved. They're quick going and buying the idols. So it's affecting the business. And you see these men get together, and it really was. It was the first union meeting. And they had a problem with what was going on. They didn't like the work environment, what was going on, the, the work conditions. They began to stir up trouble, and they stirred up major trouble for Paul here. And it's the same thing again and again and again. When people begin to get saved, look, it changes the way we live our lives. And those, there are those who don't want that. They want you buying the liquor. They want you buying the pornography. They want you buying the drugs. They want you frequenting those places. They want you living that lifestyle. And when that begins to change, it's who it affects. It affects them and they don't like it. It's what was going on here. Only Jesus can change hearts. And changed hearts is the only thing that will make a difference in our country. That's it. Now, there's a, um, there was a story I read probably a week and a half ago, and it was talking about this atheist who had left his atheist group. He was in Kenya, and he was part of the atheist society. He was an official. He was a secretary with the national organization, this atheist organization. Here's what happened. He professed a personal relationship with Christ. He says, I have been born again. I'm a Christian. He resigned his position from that atheistic group, and, and then he went to uh, this church he had started attending, and he came up front and he announced to them his decision and how he had left that group, and he professed to the church. He said, I am a Christ follower. Now, people would look at him and, and think, well, he's an atheist. He could never get saved. He got saved. Who would ever think that a Ted Bundy or a Jeffrey Dahmer would ever make a profession of faith in Christ? But both of those men made professions of faith in Christ. I don't know if it was real. I pray to God it was. They did. Who would have ever thought that Conrad Westbrook could come to faith in Christ? Yet I did. No one is unsavable. No one is unsavable. That's the power of the gospel. And we have to make sure we don't get this mindset of, well, that person, they would never come to faith. They're so antagonistic to, to God. They're so antagonistic to the things of the Lord. They're so antagonistic to right and morality. and They could never get saved. Folks, that, that, that should never be in our vocabulary. That shouldn't even be in our thinking because God can save anyone. And he wants to. So how can we change our culture today? The only way it can be changed is by winning lost people to Jesus. That's how we win our culture. That's how we turn this thing around. And so, thus the title this morning, Wanted Troublemakers. I, we're looking for troublemakers. Those who will go out of here and make trouble for the kingdom of Satan. That will go out there and pull people out of the brink of going eternally into the pits of hell. And we can see hearts changed and lives changed and this culture changed for Jesus. We need some that will go out and turn this upside down world right side up. So this morning we're going to look at five ups from this passage. Five ups that we need to practice if we are, if we are to right this upside down world. Okay? So I can tell you I'm halfway done, and that was the invitation. I mean, that was not the invitation. That was the introduction. 
I'm halfway done because some of you are going, he just spent 20 minutes on an introduction. How long are we going to be here? I, I got two more pages of notes, okay? And this is going to, this is going to be quick today. Y'all are, are going to be blessed, all right? You're going to, get to uh, you're going to get up to Cracker Barrel before the Methodists do, so you can be happy, all right? All right, look at verse 1. Here's the five ups that we need to, if we're going to turn this world right side up, here's the five ups. Verse 1, now when they had passed through Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, number one is this. We need to saddle up. We need to saddle up. How many of you are familiar with Stephen Curtis Chapman? Back in the early 2000s, maybe late 90s, early 2000s, I was, I'm, I'm still a big Stephen Curtis Chapman fan. And one of my favorite songs was when, the, the, uh, about saddle up your horses. Y'all know that one? All right, y'all sing it with me. All right, here we go. Everybody knows it. You know, if you sell, you know it. That's it. That's it. Saddle up your horses. We've got a trail to blaze into the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace. I'm not doing any more. That's it. That's all singing you get today. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, but that song says it all because we as believers, it's not about sitting. It's about, man, get on your horse and go. It's about going. It's about being active. It's about moving. It's about doing for the Lord. And we find right here, Paul and Silas, they're moving. They're active. They're, they're heading somewhere. We need to be on the go for the Lord. So I was going to, I started out with sober up and I thought, y'all won't like that. But, but it really wasn't from the, from the standpoint of alcohol. It was from the standpoint of being serious. So really, you got to sober up and saddle up because you got to get serious about your faith. If you're, we're going to turn this world upside down, we got to get serious about this thing. we got to be intentional with what we're doing. And so it, you know, what, he's, what, what, what we find here is with Paul and Silas is they're on the go. So we saddle up. So where was Paul going? It says here that they passed through two cities and they come to Thessalonica. Well, well, you know, I don't know that that's exactly why they passed through the cities, but look what happens. They come to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And I think what you find here is we find Paul doing two things. Paul is heading to people. Because if you're going to share the gospel, you're looking for people. I, you know, I've got the same three people in my house all the time, me and Gina and Jesse. And we got a dog, he ain't getting saved, and a guinea pig, and he ain't getting saved, or she ain't. So we need to, if we're going to share the gospel, if we're going to see people come to faith in Christ, then we got to get out, get saddle up your horse, get out there, get on the trail, blaze the trail, and get in people's lives and share the gospel. That's what Paul was doing. He was headed to people. He had a heart for people, and he wanted them to come to Jesus. So you know what he did? He took Jesus to them. That's the plan, folks. We are a lighthouse. This church is a lighthouse, but the lighthouse isn't designed to draw things. This isn't like a, a bug zapper. We're not here to draw them in and zap them. I want you to bring people to church. I want you to invite your lost friends. But we're to go out. The, the, the commission the Lord gave us was to go and make disciples. Paul and Silas are going, and they're heading for people. And then we see the second part of that, Paul was heading to church. Where was he going? There's a synagogue there. He comes to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul wanted to go and witness to these people, so he's headed to church. Look, church was an important part of his life. He was, it, was, it was part of his routine. It was part of what he did. We need to get serious about church. 
I've preached a lot in the last year and a half about church. Y'all know that. We've preached about the importance of gathering together after COVID. I preached three or four weeks on that. We just come out of a series recently on the church. We have, I ain't saying we, First Baptist Geneva, I'm saying we collectively, the church in America has lost its love for the church. It's lost its appreciation for the church. It's lost its desire to be a church. Aaron and I talk about, Pastor Aaron and I talk about this a lot because we're church guys, not just because I'm a pastor. You know, three years ago before I became the pastor here, I was a church guy. I'm going to, when the church, when we're doing something at church, I'm going to be there because I want to be there. When I go on vacation in Utah, I look up and I find churches because I want to go to church. Folks, we got to get serious about this. Paul was headed to church. We need to get serious about it. We need to establish this pattern in our life, this rule in our life, that church is a priority. I was meeting with a young couple, and you'll meet them in a little bit. And I loved what Ben was telling me this. He said, he said when I was a kid, you know, my, my dad was an elder in the church, and he said, we, we were at church Sunday morning, we, I guess Sunday night, Wednesday night. Throughout the week, his dad was involved with things. He would be at church. He said, that's what, that's what I knew, and that's how I want to bring my family up. Because that is important to him. It's a priority to him. And that ought to be, that's, that ought to be the case for all of us. That church is the priority. And, and it shouldn't be that when something better comes along, ah, well, you know, I'm not going today because this has come along or I got that to do. Church ought to be the first thing on our calendar. It ought to be that important. Paul and Silas went th- through those towns. They come to Thessalonica and, and where there is a synagogue of the Jews. I believe there was intentional. There was a purpose for them coming there to Thessalonica. It was to win those folks there in the synagogue to preach the gospel, and we're going to see that. So that's number one. Number, uh, number two, um, look at verse two and three. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for the three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So number two, not only do we saddle up, but we've got to speak up. If we want folks to come to faith in Christ, we've got to speak up. A, it was his custom. He went to them. This was the norm for Paul. It was his way of life. It's what he did. So he came and here's a synagogue. His custom was to go into the synagogue and teach the word of God. This was his custom. This was his way of life. It ought to be a part of our life. It ought to be our custom. It ought to be a, it, we don't go to church out of a routine. I don't go to church to check the box. I go to church because I want to. I want to be here. There's no better place. There's no better place to be on a Sunday morning than in the Lord's house. Amen? Amen. The beach is great, but man, the beach is just as good any other day of the week. It really is. In fact, it's better because it ain't on Sunday morning. Unless you're doing church on the beach. That'd be okay. B, it says for three Sabbaths. He put in the time. He didn't expect people to get in, get it all in one dose. So it's what Pastor Aaron's talking about this morning. You know, we don't take the kids to camp and expect that just instantly they, they've got it all figured out and it's all there. It takes time. 
And sometimes folks need to hear the gospel multiple times. Sometimes there's, there, there's discipling. We talk about discipling something and we get this idea we disciple after they get saved. No, no, that's not, I mean, we do disciple after they get saved. But there's a lot of discipleship that goes on before salvation. Otherwise, how in the world does somebody know? Paul is there and for three Sabbaths, look, he put in the time, he put in the work. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on your family. Don't think, well, I, I sat with them at lunch. I shared the gospel with them one time and they kind of laughed at me, so I'm done. No, no, it, it may not happen in one time. It may take multiple times. It may take many times that you have to do this. Put in the time. For three Sabbaths, Paul is there and he's, he's witnessing to these, these Jews there in the synagogue. And they don't look at C. He reasoned with them. They reasoned with him. Now, the word reason means dialogue. It, it, it's to converse, to say thoroughly, or to discuss. So he reasoned with them. There was conversation. There was dialogue. Look, Paul sought to understand them. This wasn't he just went in and preached. It wasn't when we think of preaching, we think of what I'm doing. But preaching is teaching. It's, it's, it's witnessing to someone. It's proclaiming the, the word of the Lord. And so Paul, Paul is he, he, he's having this conversation with them. He's conversing with them. And I believe that Paul would have, his method would have been that he would have sought to understand them and then to be understood. You know, a lot of times we just want to, bam, fire right into it, and we don't even understand someone or where they're at or what they've been through. Take the time. Put the time in. You know, it was his custom. He spent three weeks there, three Sabbaths there, and then he's, he's reasoned with them. He has the conversation, and he's seeking to understand them, to know what they think, what they believe, how, how they feel, how they process, so that he can explain. Because if he understands them, it makes it easier for him than to explain things in a way that they can understand. But his desire was to be understood. D, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. That's the most important part of this, folks. If we, as we witness to people, it's got to be the word of God. We've got to communicate truth from the scripture, not from what I think or what I feel, but from what God says, the truths of the Scriptures. So in order to do that, we've got to study the Scriptures. You can't share what you don't know. You've got to study the Scriptures. But then once you've, you've studied the Scriptures, you've got to share the Scriptures because they can't receive what we don't share. You know, it's, it's, it's not like COVID. You can walk by somebody and never speak to them and give them COVID. I don't understand it. I wish Christianity was that contagious. We just walk in a room with a bunch of people and just, <laughs> and they'd all get code, they'd all get Jesus, you know, it'd be awesome. But we got to study the scriptures and then we got to share the scriptures. Romans 10, 4, 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We got to teach the word of God. And then we got to stand on the scriptures. You got to stand on the scriptures. Listen, if we don't stand on the scriptures, we really truly have nothing to stand on. There's nothing in this life. You have no foundation in this life if your foundation's not the Word of God. That is the foundation for our life. So he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He was explaining and demonstrating. And the idea there is that he's building a case. He's laying down the evidence side by side. So explaining is to expound, to open the mind of one, to cause to understand a thing. And demonstrating is to place alongside or to set forth. And I can, I can just see Paul as he's breaking up. He's taking the Old Testament. He's taking those Scriptures. And he's showing them the Messiah. He's showing them the Christ. And he's and he's. Laying out, I'm showing you why it's important that he must die and rise again. And then he shows them Christ. 
He's laying the evidence there. He's preaching to them the truth of the gospel. He's giving it to them. He's explaining and demonstrating. And then the, the, this important part of it is he preached that Jesus is the Christ, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He preached that Jesus is the Christ. He, he didn't tell stories. It wasn't a time of just telling stories. It wasn't a time of just hanging out and having a good meal or, 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 or whatever. It was about preaching the truth and giving them the thing that they needed, the truth from the Word of God. And then once he's done that, he's built the relationship, He spent the time, He shared the Scriptures with them, he's explained it, he's demonstrated, he's preached Jesus, he calls to repentance. There has to be a call to repentance, folks. You know, there, there, you have to, there is a responding to the gospel. And, and if we're going to preach the gospel, then we need, to, we need to call for a response to the truth of the gospel. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Folks, people can have a head knowledge. They can, they can hear you say something, say, that sounds good, that sounds reasonable. But they have to respond with the heart. They have to respond with their soul, with their spirit, that they, that they are by faith, placing their faith and their trust in Christ and Him alone. There has to be this response to the gospel. I, I've shared that, I, I've seen guys that would go in and they would teach a lesson or they share the gospel and never give an invitation, never challenge someone to respond to what they've heard in the gospel. And I equated it to me going over here and getting you all a bag of sea salt potato chips. And I'm going to bring the bag in here, and you're eating sea salt potato chips while we're in the message, we're in the service. You're eating sea, now, what's going to happen if you're eating sea salt potato chips? There's going to be some noise, but what, what are you going to feel? You're going to get thirsty. So here you are eating salt. salt uh, I like salt and vinegar, personally. That's my favorite. But you're eating these salted potato chips, and you're getting thirsty. And I'm up here preaching about this thing that will take away your thirst. And, you know, it comes in this bottle. I pull it out, and it's, you know what, and it's, it's ice cold, and there's water dripping off of it. And, and, and man, this, you drink this, and it, it takes the sting off your lips. It takes the thirst out of your mouth. This is a wonderful thing right here. And, and then I just, I just walk off and leave you with that. And you're going, well, well where can I get that? You're telling me about this great thing, and it'll take away my thirst. Well, how can I get that? I want that. It's what we do when we preach the gospel and we don't call people to repentance. People need to be changed, not just emotionally moved. There needs to be a change. Now look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So number three is sign up. We need to sign up. The King James Version uses the word consorted. It's an interesting word as you look it up. It, it, it means this. It means to cast their lot in with them. They consorted. They consorted with Paul and Silas. These, these, these people consorted with them. And what they were saying is, whatever your lot is our lot. Because we're throwing in with you. You know, I watch westerns. That's my favorite thing to watch. So Gina and I... Uh, I'll just tell you, we don't watch a lot of TV or movies together because uh, I like the old westerns. And, and they would, they would you, you'd hear them say, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw in with you. 
So we're going to throw in with you. And that meant they're, they're, they're going to consort with them. They're, they're, they're casting their lot with them. And so if it's, if it's a, a gang of horse thieves, they're throwing in with them. And that means whatever happens, good or bad, they're in. They're going to, if it's good, they're going to reap the reward. If it's bad, they're going to hang from a tree too. Okay? So that's the idea here. Now, there was a synonym for this word consorted, and it's an interesting thought. And the word is spouse. Spouse. And you think about that. When we consort, when we espouse someone, I mean, it's for good or bad. It's for healthy or, or sick. It's for rich or poor. We're throwing in with that person. And whatever comes their way comes our way. Whatever happens to them is going to happen to us. That's the idea right here. These people joined Paul and Silas. So to join up with Paul and Silas was to join up with Jesus in his work. They preached and pointed, Paul and Silas here, they preached and pointed everyone to Christ, not to themselves. And these people joined up with that. They, they signed up with them. They, they, they got involved. And folks, that's what we need to do. We need to get connected to God's people and we need to get involved in God's work. Number five, we need to stand up. Now, I, I, I really, in the introduction, kind of covered this of what's going on. And we see it there that the attacks against Paul and Silas and their group and Jason, they abuse Jason and they take from him. They, they, they want security from him. They, they're taking money. They're taking a promise, whatever, on the face of threats. And, and what we find is you got, you got Jason there. He's standing up. He didn't compromise in his faith. He didn't compromise. He didn't, he didn't roll over on Paul and Silas and the gang. He, didn't, he stood up because he knew he was standing up for the Lord. And folks, we need to stand up. We need to make a stand. And uh, do you realize as a believer we're going to face persecution, right? If you're, if you're born again, I'm going to tell you, if you're living for the Lord, you're going to face persecution. I saw a, a thing this week said, uh, Vody Balkum said, uh, if you want to avoid persecution, it's easy. Just compromise. I'm not compromising. I'm not compromising my faith. I'm going to stand up for the Lord. I want to be on His side. I saw something else said that, you know, people today are so worried about being on the right side of history. You know, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more concerned about being on the right side of heaven or hell. There's a lot of people that we need to be out there witnessing to because they're in the same struggle and we need to help pull them out. So it's a power struggle. These struggles that we see, it's a power struggle. Ephesians 6:12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Look, this is a power struggle. The things that were going on there, Satan didn't like what Paul and Silas were doing. He doesn't want people coming to faith in Christ. He's going to fight it all he can. That was an attack against God's work. It, it, we see the same thing going on today, and it is a power struggle. We, it is not a physical flesh and blood battle. This is a spiritual battle, and we've got to fight it spiritually. We need to be on our knees praying because it is a spiritual power. It is a power struggle, but it's also a personal struggle. And all of us have to make a decision. I can't help but think about Daniel, where Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart that he would not sin against God. And you know what he did? He made a commitment. He just, man, he was just committed. He, was, he had cast in with the Lord. And he said, well, whatever it cost me, 
I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what the Lord would have me to do. That's what I'm going to do. And that's the commitment he made. You know, the time to make a commitment is not when you're being dragged out as Jason was and, and dragged off to the authorities with a mob wanting to kill him. That's not the time to try to make a commitment. You make the commitment ahead of time. You drive the stake in the ground and you say, this is what I believe and this is what I stand on and I ain't backing up off of that. You make the stance now. You make that commitment now like Daniel purposing in his heart. It's a personal struggle. But folks, it's also a predetermined struggle. The battle has already been won. Amen? Boy, y'all didn't sound like you believe that. It's, it's, the battle's been won, amen? You be, do you believe that? It's already been won. We already have victory. You know, just read the back of the book. You know, some people get a novel. I don't know how they do this. They read the first chapter or something, then they read the back. Well, it's like me looking at a score. If I know the score, I don't want to watch the game. So Georgia's ever playing and I haven't seen it, don't tell me the score. I want to watch the game. Um, it's, it's, it's predetermined. The cathedrals had a great song. If you, how many of you listen to the cathedrals? Two of us. <laughs> Did you listen to them? Wow, I thought there would have been more. Cathedrals were a great southern gospel group. Uh, I'm not the biggest southern gospel fan, but they were my favorite. I love them. But they, they, they had a song, and it was, uh, I've read the back of the book, and we win. No more living in darkness. We'll be living at home with him. You see, there's no need to worry about, about it if you're born again, because I've read the back of the book, and we win. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if that's the right wording, because I don't know if we win. I know he wins. He wins. Um, so the, it's already determined. We already know what's going to happen to Satan. We already know. And if we're born again, I, I, we don't have anything to fear or worry about. Number five, we get to number five. goes back to verse, uh, I believe it's verse seven there. And uh, in verse seven, it says, Jason, um, they said, Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the degree, degre- decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. So that's what, that's what Paul and Silas were saying. That's what Jason was saying, that there's another king, Jesus. You know, that's the struggles we have in culture today, in our culture today, because they don't want to acknowledge God. They, they will talk about God, but they don't want to talk about Jesus, the Son of God the Savior of the world, who died for their sin, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, victorious, proved that he was who he said he was, but they don't want to hear that, and they don't want to acknowledge that, because to acknowledge there's a God, or to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, then you're accountable to him. Well, news for them. They're going to be accountable whether they acknowledge or not. But they don't want to acknowledge that. So here's what we've got to do. Because this is what we're saying. Our king isn't the American government. Our king is not America. Our king is not some world leaders here. Our king is Jesus. Jesus is our king. So number five is this. Stare up. Stare up. And the word stare means to look fixedly, often with wide open eyes. Amen? We need to stare up. And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to look unto Jesus. I've said it often in here. We need to keep our eyes up on the Lord. When things get crazy here, our eyes need to be on the Lord because there's nothing like the verse said earlier. The Lord created everything. There's nothing impossible for him. There's nothing too big for him. He, he is over everything. He's in control. We don't have to worry. As a believer, I don't have to stress it. I don't have to fear it. I just trust him. I cast my care upon him because he cares for us. Stare on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on him. And the more I look at him, the smaller everything else gets. Amen? Amen. Stare on him. Stare up. So we need to saddle up. Well, we need to sober up. And we need to saddle up. And we need to speak up. Sign up, stand up, and stare up. We need some troublemakers. We need some troublemakers. Geneva needs some troublemakers. Florida needs some troublemakers. America needs a lot of troublemakers. Are you ready to be a troublemaker? So this morning, I invite Pastor Aaron to come up and the team to come up as we, as we go to the, uh, 